welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. She is going to share her, she will share her experience, strength, and hope on uh, No Longer Running, My Journey Home. Uh, we will open shares in a Q&A session after uh, Kelly does her share. Uh, I have known Kelly for two and a half years now, and when I first uh, met Kelly, she was an absolute force uh, in this program. Very inspiring, extremely well-spoken, excellent, relatable shares. Uh, Kelly is not only uh, a leader uh, amongst the the sisters in the group, but uh, in essay uh, as a whole. And uh, I just really, really respect uh, her recovery journey and the amount of work she puts into her recovery. And I think we're in for a, a real treat uh, to hear her uh, her share this afternoon. So I just want to thank Kelly for being here uh, and uh, your service this afternoon, Kelly. Uh, we're going to time you. Uh, you asked for 20 minutes and I'll give you a five minute uh, warning. So thank you so much. Thanks, Dennis. Um, I don't think I was a force the first time I talked to you. <laughs> I don't think Dennis was um, the first person that I spoke to um, before I entered into the rooms. And I often um, and will always actually give Dennis a ton of credit for, um, you know, as a female terrified, knowing that I needed help, but not knowing what to do. Um, Dennis was the beacon of hope that I that I needed to get into the room for the first time. So um, thank you. Um, I'm nervous too, actually. It seems to be a theme. I'm nervous too. So I'm gripping onto my two-year coin and, um, you know, saying some prayers. I, um, I, I, I titled my talk today as No Longer Running because I've, I've been thinking a lot about that idea of, of running and particularly running away, running away. Um, all of my life, not running towards, but running away, and how that relates to <clears throat> my concept of home. And it was really interesting that this is the theme because I've also been thinking about home a lot lately. And um, how I define that for myself. So, and I'll be talking about each of these sort of concepts of home, but home for me is a like the bricks and mortar, like the location, the place, the environment. Um, home is also my relationship with myself, um, and whether I am home with myself or, or whether I'm leaving my home myself or not, um, home is also for me, um, the safety and security of, of good relationships in my life. And, um, only in recovery, home has also become, um, something greater than myself as well, a power greater than myself. So those are all sort of how I conceive of home for myself. Um, When I thought about 
how long I've been running, um, running from home in whatever form that takes. Um, I can think of the the humble beginnings of my running career. <laughs> um, started very very young. I um, things were things were hard and scary at home, and I um, I was too young to run from the physical bricks and mortar building of my home. I was too young, um, and so um, my 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 running from myself, my running from myself as my home, started very young through you know imagination and fantasy. Um, I had such fantasies of being loved and cherished and wanted. My earliest fantasy was of my sister's boyfriend. I think I was six years old. Um, and I still remember listening to, uh, and age myself, but I still remember listening to a song by Wham called Careless Whisper. Good Lord. And I, and, and thinking of my sister's boyfriend and, and hoping that he would love me, not her. Um, and, and all of these sort of fantasies, you know, male teachers, boys in school, friends of my dad's, you know, I, 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 I needed to get away from life as it was. And that was the best way that I could run from myself was through fantasy. I did try to run away from home at four years old. Um, my father was drunk and unsafe and I did try to leave. Actually, I've tried to put my running shoes on and run, but I didn't get very far. So um, I can recognize so much since I've been in recovery for the last almost two and a half years that um, so much of that early leaving of myself, of, of my home, um, was, you know, started off a long career of completely disconnecting from myself. Um, you know, some some in the in the clinical world would call it dissociation, whatever you want to call it, um, just leaving myself all the time and not being present to, to myself. Um, and that has continued throughout my entire life. So home for me um, meant nothing but chaos. Home was total chaos. And um, I've always been running from home oh, up until two and a half years ago. I've always been running from home. I read a, um, a definition of home. I just happened to Google it. And somebody wrote, um, home is the intangible feeling you get in a location a sense of peace, joy from loved ones, or an environment where everyone knows they're welcome. Home isn't easy to define, but you know when you're there. And that helps me recognize that home is more than just the physical building, the bricks and mortar, but I never knew, but I never knew what that was. So I, I, I've really, um, and what I've been working on a lot lately in my recovery is um, I think running, from a very young age became really wired in for me. That was my response to everything, to discomfort was to get away, was to run. I ran for, I know, ran to fantasy for survival and um, it just continued, you know, throughout my life is to disconnect in order to sort of find a sense of safety. So, you know, I can see that, you know, in a, when I became a teenager, um, you know, obviously, you know, I, I was, completely disconnected and dissociated from my authentic self, um, from my home within myself. Um, and I, I, I started doing lots of really, you know, not okay things, but I also knew that I couldn't do those things without leaving myself. And so, um, I spent a lot of time in my acting out, not connected to me at all. Um, but just being whatever it was that I thought I needed to be in order to gain validation or attention or whatever it was. 
What was confusing to me, though, um, throughout my addiction was that when I was in my addiction, it made me feel alive. It made me feel charged. It made me feel made me feel connected, and that that was confusing to me because how could something so uh, that, that caused me to feel so alive be so wrong? Um, but I, I know now that I mistook the real connection for what that actually was, which was intensity and not connection. So I really didn't have a chance early on to learn what being present and connected meant. I only learned what running meant. Um, And so therein lies the basis of my addiction. Um, As an adult, you know, the, the forms that running has taken for me running from home um, I think I've run multiple marathons, not literally, but um, just from all the running I've done. Um, as an adult, you know, running from physical, running from home as the physical building, running from home. Um, I I haven't stayed in one place for very long. Um, I'd often move places. And when I moved, I wouldn't even, half the time, I wouldn't even unpack my things. I would keep things in boxes. I wouldn't put things on the walls. I would just, because I, I just don't think that I, I couldn't settle. I wouldn't allow myself to settle anywhere. Um, I never stayed in one place for very long. The house that I live in now is the longest I've ever been somewhere, which is six years. So I've never lived anywhere for longer than that. Um, and so, you know, the, the, the running from my physical home has always been something for me. Um, and, and that would, you know, that would be like workaholism, compulsive busyness, just not being at home, um, running to running away, running to something else that would give me a charge or a hit that I needed. Um, when I was, when I was at home, when I was here, I would feel restless, irritable, and discontent. I never felt like I could stay for long. Um, I often felt like a trapped, like a cat in a wet paper bag, I think, just, just fighting to get out. Um, and so I, I so longed for the experience of like home as a safe place, as a place I wanted to be, but I at the same time, I feared it to a great degree as well. Um, when I met my husband, uh, I certainly felt like the home that uh, that he provided for me was the closest thing to home I'd ever experienced, but I made myself scarce. I definitely made myself scarce um, and ran away from ran away from good and for, from good and from bad um, through through my addiction. I also see running running from home as also how I've abandoned myself throughout my life how I've not been connected with myself, how I've been completely disconnected from myself through multiple different ways, codependency, people-pleasing, perfectionism, uh, my addiction. Um, I've had an eating disorder in my life. Um, Doing more, needing to do more, be more, do more, be more all the time. Um, So much lying and deceiving of myself. Um, I I sort of have a, I've always had a thing about overdoing everything. Um, I had I would wear a badge of honor that I, you know, was just really determined person, which is true, but I just overdo everything. I I have been so disconnected from myself that um uh, even at the most basic level, I don't I haven't known things like um hunger, like I just ignore hunger. 
um, and not connect to the, the need to eat. Um, I would ignore being tired and not connect to the need to rest. Um, I would no ignore pain and just keep pushing through to the degree that I have some chronic issues now as a result of constantly pushing through um, ba just basic needs that I had that I just kept running from and ignoring. So, you know, I abandoned myself a ton. I ran from myself a ton just to be somebody else because I didn't think that who I was was enough. Um, and ultimately, um, I would just do anything to avoid discomfort, anything to avoid being uncomfortable and having to sit with myself. And, and lastly, sort of like running, the running from home, the running of the comfort and safety of close relationships. I, like a previous share, I have an intimacy disorder. Um, I'm highly intimacy avoidant. Um, and I have run and run and run from close relationships all of my life. I haven't been able to keep friendships. And um, if I, if people would get too close, then I just leave. Um, so um, running from the safety and closeness of relationships has been, has been a thing for me too. So when I think about about two and a half years ago in September of 2020, when um, all hell broke loose and I came into recovery um, I had to hang up my running shoes. I had to hang them up. Uh, I had to retire my uh, my means of running and learn to stay home. Um, and and when I think about what I had to do to do that, and uh, what this program has meant for me to 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 hang up my running shoes and to stay put. Um. For, for me, a lot of it was just like so much of a willingness to be uncomfortable. Willingness has been huge. A willingness to be uncomfortable and, and get through the discomfort of being, staying put and being home. So first off, the, the willingness to be uncomfortable, actually physically staying home and not leaving all the time. Um, uh, you know, I realized that what I stood to lose was more than what I stood to gain by continuing in my addiction. And so I had to find a way and it felt if I could have put concrete shoes on myself uh, at the time, then I then I, I would have <laughs> because staying put was so hard. Um, but I literally couldn't run anymore. I literally couldn't run anymore um, just by virtue of what was necessary. I had lots of limits and movements of my movement and time based on, you know, I married, my husband kind of had to know where I was. And I, you know, I, I had to stay put. Um, and in that process, I had a lot of physical symptoms, which is sort of withdrawal, you know, when I think about it, but like my skin would crawl, I'd have restless legs, like as if I needed to run a marathon, like I'd have restless legs, I had terrible panic attacks. Um, I would, I would like stick my head in a pillow and just scream because I couldn't go anywhere because I couldn't run from home. Um, and, and I had to see every day an answer to the pain of my husband, um, which is immense discomfort. And um, I had, I had to have the willingness to be uncomfortable. Um, and so I did. Um, 
you know, secondly, the willingness to be uncomfortable in my own skin, stop running from myself and finally face myself. I had to have a willingness to sit with the like immense discomfort and pain and rawness of just looking at myself for the first time in my life. It sort of felt like like ripping off the band-aid of denial and self-delusion, which um, was like nothing I'd ever experienced before. And the only way to get through this, the only way to get through that was, you know, um, daily meetings, uh, having a sponsor as soon as soon as I got into the program um, to be able to learn to sit with myself in the discomfort of what I had run from for so long to connect with myself. The shame was debilitating at times. It was just debilitating at times, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't numb it or escape it anymore uh, from in all the ways that I had always numbed and escaped it. So what really helped me here was um, this is where the development of, of my spiritual life really helped me a lot. Five minutes. Thank you. It really helped me to connect to something greater than myself and develop spiritual practices that helped me be able to stay with myself and not feel like I had to run from myself all the time. Um, that I was going to be okay because there was something greater than myself that was, that was going to carry me through this. Um, and I didn't have to do it all myself anymore. I also see that the, I also had the willingness to be close to other people, even when it's deeply uncomfortable for me. And it still is deeply uncomfortable for me to be close to other people. Um, but this certainly touches the heart of, of the addiction for me was that intimacy avoidance piece um, and, and, and meetings, my sponsor, working the steps has been huge for me when it comes to dealing with my character defects. I really see that um, all my, so many of my character defects, resentment, anger, blame, righteousness, ego, pride, selfishness, they're all ways that I have put emotional distance between me and other people. That's how I kept people away from me. And um, to to work on my character defects, own them, um, and start to chip down those walls because they are well constructed. Those walls are, but to keep chipping away at them has helped me immensely through the steps to to learn to chip away and connect with other people um, without the walls of my character defects. So. Coming home and staying home, um, keep coming back is remarkable to me because um, like that stays, says everything to me, like keep coming back. Even when people see me for who I am, um, I, I can't run away. <laughs> I need to keep coming back to this place called home. Um, I've kind of learned how to take space for myself without running away. I can still take space, but I don't have to be gone. Um, I think that prayer and meditation have been huge for me when it comes to like being home with myself and with my higher power. Um, this is how I've really learned how to sit with my own discomfort and how to sit with myself is, is absolutely through meditation. I, I daily do meditations that help me connect to my body, um, help me, uh, learn to, recognize my own sort of body sensations and state or sense my body, maintain that connection. Um, so I'm not 
completely disconnected from myself. Meditation has been really important to me for that. Um, and learn how to stay with myself, even when it feels like I want to come out of my skin, but learn how to stay with myself um, and prayer as well to learn how to stay with myself with the help of something greater than me that I know loves me and will carry me through um, the pain when it's the hardest. I, I really do see, and I've said this before, but I continue to say it that um, being in recovery, I think is the greatest act of self-love that I could ever give to myself. Um, I, it is, it is my coming home. It is my homecoming. Um, and it has helped me be home in all of the ways that I've described. Uh, I recently came back from a week away at the meadows in Arizona and I, um, it was another way of me, um, being okay in my own skin, learning to be at home with myself, which then will help me be at home with everybody else in my life that loves and cares about me. So, um, I mean, I think that uh, the first time I ever experienced home was here. Um, I now experience my home, my actual home. It's no longer a place that I fear. Um, it's a place that I find comfort. I've learned that um, in this program and in my recovery. Um, it's nothing that I'd ever experienced before, but I've learned that. And um, I am deeply appreciative of all of you being here and listening to my share. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thanks for sharing, Kelly. Thanks, Kelly. Thanks, Kelly. Thanks, Kelly. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you so much for your share, Kelly. All right, we're going to go into the uh, question and answer sharing portion of this uh, the speaker session. Uh, in participation, we avoid topics that can lead to dissension or distraction. We also avoid sexually explicit descriptions and sexually abusive language. The emphasis is on honesty, recovery, and healing, how to apply the 12 steps and 12 traditions in our daily lives. No crosstalk, please. Uh, please keep your shares in the I and the me and not in the you and the we. If you would like to ask a question or share on the topic of the session, please raise your hand uh, button at the bottom panel. Um, if you want to ask a question, but you do not want to be recorded, uh, you can use the chat feature. And Alan Kay has graciously uh, agreed to uh, keep time for us uh, today. So uh, we'll go to, uh, we'll do two minutes. You'll get a 30 second morning and uh, we'll start with Stuart. Hey, Stuart. Hi there. Uh, good to see you, Dennis. Uh, Stuart, sexaholic. Uh, Lustaholic, Kelly, thank you so much. I've always appreciated your honesty. We both came into these rooms around the same time. And uh, your your clarity and your, your honesty has always been an inspiration to me. Listening to you talk about um, hiding, running, not being connected to yourself um, brings tears tears in my eyes um, from your share. Thank you. Um, I can relate to that so strongly and, and uh, learning. For me, learning how to take um, the the filter of wanting to hide off, the, the, to take the filter of wanting to um, uh, 
leave and not be present um, has been a, a big struggle. That's one of the things I'm working on constantly these days, uh, based on stuff that happened when I was very young, uh, similar to you. Um, and when you talked about learning to be comfortable with being uncomfortable, that um, that was huge. Um, and um, I was wondering if you could maybe just share a little bit more about your techniques that you use to allow yourself to be with your uncomfortableness. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much, Stuart. Um, that's a great question and a journey that thank I you, still sir. am on, a journey that I still walk every day. Um, you know, I was just, like I said, I was just away for a week doing some deeper trauma work because um, sometimes sitting with discomfort is related to some uh, really tough trauma that I experienced when I was a child. And so um, I think that for me, um, I've really, I've, I've really learned to be able to tell myself, I think through a lot of meditation to be able to tell myself that this too shall pass, you know, it's not, um, I won't stay in this state of discomfort forever that this too shall pass. And I ask for uh, my higher power to be with me as a source of comfort. My higher power is, is what I didn't have as a child is um, many of you might know, but like a very um, like almighty loving maternal figure to me. And um, I didn't, I didn't have that when I was a child in order to be with me when things were uncomfortable. And so I've kind of, created that for myself where I can feel her love, my higher power, and to be with me in those moments when it feels scary. And I've also just learned too to, I don't have to sit with my discomfort by myself all the time. So much of my life was just being in my head or running from it, that there are people in my life that love me um, and that I can actually lean towards people and not have to stay away. And that's been, I'm so avoidant that that's been hard for me, but it really helps a lot to be able to make a phone call or return to my husband and say, I'm just, I'm feeling really uncomfortable right now. I'm feeling really uncomfortable. And this is a feeling I'm having. And I just need someone to sit with me in that and not have to do it alone. Because when I do it alone, sometimes it feels a bit triggering from a trauma standpoint. But so it's, you know, my higher power and other people. People are here for me. I just didn't think so before, but they are. Yeah. Thanks, Kelly. All right. We'll go with Mike, Mike W. and then Brian M. Hey, Mike. Hey, thank you. Uh, Mike W., recovering sexaholic. Um, Thank you for your share, Kelly. I, uh, I related to a lot. Um, I just wanted to ask you, it was something that you touched on in the beginning. You said, and it's something I relate to just, you said like when you were six, just that feeling of like, Oh, I wish, you know, they would love me. And just kind of that feeling of pining for somebody. Um, that's something in my recovery that has gotten better but I would be remiss if that's not something I think about a lot in relation to kind of fantasy, um, you know, in being with somebody and that type of stuff. 
Um, I was just curious if you had anything else to say about that, maybe how you um, worked on it, uh, if you still, you know, maybe think stuff like that. Um, but thank you. And thank you for letting me share. Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you. Uh, yeah, it's still something I work on. I mean, I, I can even say mm, only two weeks ago when I was a, away at the Meadows, I had an experience of somebody being inappropriate. And um, I had this impulse to be, um, to, you know, fall into fantasy and, and want to be really excited that somebody was wanting me. Um, and I, like, I think um, what I can recognize for myself uh, is that there's a very small, small child in me that is very desperate to be loved. And, um, and uh, how I've sought that all my life is, is not, not through the real connection, but um, through sort of uh, intense, um, unreal fantasies and connections with people. And I really do have to, to tell myself that's not real. <laughs> that's not real. Um, I, like literally have to say those words to myself that what you're thinking now is not real. <laughs> Get your get your head back where your feet are, as Wendy in this room always says. She said, "Get your head where your feet are," and uh, I have to say those things to myself all the time to remember that I need to be present because when I'm off in fantasy world, I'm not present. So um, it's it's something I deal with all all the time for sure. Um, I consider myself both a sex and love addict, so um, I um, but I. I also know at the same time that what, what I'm seeking in other people is what I need to seek both within myself and from my higher power. That's what I'm seeking is for somebody else to make me feel whole. And um, gosh, darn it. I'm a codependent as much as I'm an addict. So um, somebody else can't make me feel whole. I have to figure that out myself and with my higher power. Yeah. Hopefully that well said. Thank you so much. Thanks, Kelly. Thanks, Mike. All right, let's go Brian M. and then Tom K. Hey, Brian, grateful recovering sexaholic. Uh, hey, Kelly, thank you so much for speaking. Um, that is the second time I have heard you speak, um, and that was awesome. And I will, I use humor to cover my feelings, so I will not make a wham joke about this. Um, I do want to say, I wanted to ask, um, yesterday I was reading through my step one with my new sponsor and it hurt. It really hurt. I didn't think much of it. Oh yeah, I can read my step one. I have no problem. And I'm in it. And I'm just like, wow, this hurts. This is uncomfortable. I wanted to say, wow, this sucks, but it, it didn't suck. It, it hurt. It was uncomfortable and it was necessary. And my question was, um, if I could ask about your experience with your step one, you know, where you chose to do that. Was it mixed? Was it uh, women's only like how, were there things, yeah, just a general question about your experience, uh, giving your step one in order to, to feel at home. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Um, I did my step one six months into recovery. Um, and at that time I chose to do it in a women's only meeting. I didn't do it in a mixed gender meeting. I, and for good reason, I was still in a place of, um, you know, uh, 
just very aware that if I was going to share um, the deeper parts of my story, then I wasn't ready yet for um, other men to hear my story. I was I, I was concerned that I would be a bit more concerned about how it was landing with um, with men in the room versus what I what I which was what I you know why I needed to be there otherwise. So, um, my I had done my first step after I did my full therapeutic disclosure with my spouse. So like in relative speaking, like my first step was actually a little less uncomfortable than the disclosure. The disclosure was like absolutely heart-wrenching. So like the first step was like, you know, a little bit easier, but um, I think the discomfort, the shame, man, oh man, the shame that came and the pain that came Um, what I don't know and what I haven't learned in my life to do very well for myself is to, is to nurture myself. Like I said, like I didn't have the time, no one to eat, sleep, take care of my pain, just how to nurture myself when I felt uncomfortable. Obviously I'm an addict. I don't know how to do that. So, um, I really had to find ways of like, how do I nurture myself in this place of pain, um, without hurting myself? without being self-destructive. And so that was a learning curve for me, but that was really, really important. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, we'll go with Tom, Tia, and Lisa. Hey, Tom. Hi, guys. Tom Kay, a recovering sexaholic from Pennsylvania. Uh, hi, Kelly. Uh, thanks for your uh, your share and your comments. Um, I've, I've caught up to you a few times on the Manchester meeting. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate to have a therapist in addition to these uh, great resources of meetings. And one of the things we're digging into is um, me getting married. And I was just wondering, with all the things that you discussed, what compelled you to get married? Um, you know, how, how have you stayed married? Because uh, mine has just crumbled. I saw my spouse like an hour ago and I was really looking forward to, you know, getting in on this. And, you know, every time I see her, it just absolutely breaks my heart because she's in such tremendous pain for what I've done. And I'm still scratching my head saying, why did I get married? So any, any, any context would be great. Thank you. Sure. It's a great question. And depends on the day. My, my answer might be different depending on the day. I'm not sure. Today, um, I, so I've been married once before. Uh, this is not my first marriage. Um, and my first marriage was a starter marriage. <laughs> I ruined that one within a year. So um, this was my second marriage. Um, and I'll be, you know, completely transparent that that this relationship that I'm in now, and we've been together for eight years, um, didn't start well. Um, I was in my addiction. Um, he was married. I pursued him. Um, I knew he was unhappy and he was a target for me. So that's how we started. And um so I, I, I we've we've done a lot of work around this ourselves that um, my addiction, my codependency, his codependency um, drew us together. Um, thankfully, we have been in recovery together and we have navigated the messy, messy waters of recovery together and we're we're actually really good together, surprisingly given given the rough start we had. but um I you know, I got, I got married because I believe there was something about him 
that was good for me. I felt loved. I felt at home. And I believed that that was good for me. So I was going to give it another shot. Um, A week before we got married, um, I acted out a week before we got married. Um, So, I mean, whether or not I got married for the wrong reasons, I'm not sure. I don't really know. Um, But we have nonetheless, um, after discovery, we have navigated recovery together. We've grown together. Um, We wouldn't be together um, right now, I don't think, if it wasn't for um, making a commitment together to kind of navigate the rough waters. Um, Yeah. So I hope that's helpful. It is. Thank you. Appreciate the uh, share. Thanks. Thank you. All right. Let's go. Tia, Lisa, Wendy. Hey, Tia. Hey, thanks um, for having me in this meeting. Um, Oh, my gosh. If I could say that 99.9% of your story relates to me, it most certainly does. Um, I mean, and... Um, just the topic of home and uh, not knowing what that feels like, um, you know, as, as someone that was, um, given up for adoption at a very young age and an orphan for four years, um, I didn't, I came into this world, not knowing what home was. And so I just so related to that. And, you know, as as I get deeper into recovery, I'm seeing how much I don't know what home is and how much um, running I have done in so many different ways. And um, and so thank you so much for that vulnerability because I related so much. Um, I wanted to um, just ask, and I this may be, a, I don't know, a higher power quote question because I'm lost and only in recovery for just a little while. So I don't know what this, um, but how did you, how did you know, like, okay, no, let me go back. Nurturing your, your yourself, self-care. How did you get to that point of being able to do that? Cause I, I, I related so much with not even knowing the physical sensations, not knowing, like just going days without eating and not knowing. And so how, like just on a practical level, how did you do self-care at the beginning of your recovery? It's nice to see you, Tia. Thank you. Uh, Not very well. (laughs) Uh, And still, it's still hard for me. Like my my spouse will say, have you eaten? Did you, have you eaten today? Still like it's, it's, Mm -hmm. it is um, a daily thing for me to kind of pay attention to what I need. I'm so disconnected from that sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I, I think what's, I'll say it again. um, I think what's been really helpful for me was to, in the meditations that I do, to really, really like do like kind of body scan kind of meditations to really kind of specific meditations to connect to my body sensations. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been so, so uh, dissociated from that for so long. Yeah. Um, so uh, I really do think that um, like body work, like that kind of body work has been so important to me. 
to just recognize that my body has a sensation. Oh, wait, that's hunger. Okay. Like yeah. I need to do something about that or, or, you know, I'm tired. Oh, that must mean something. Um, it's, it's a, it's a daily struggle still. I don't know if it's a struggle, but it's a daily thing that I need to be aware of. Um, but yeah, like really kind of getting into the body, like body scan meditations have really helped me a lot. So I don't know. It does. Thank you so much, Kelly. Hey, Lisa, Wendy, and Michael. Hey, Lisa. Hi. Hi, Kelly. Good to hey. see you. Um, I really don't have any questions to ask you. You've, you've given me a great gift. And um, I'll probably share it with you on another occasion. Um, but man, uh, yeah, the, the flock of seagulls are actually appearing here in Phoenix on March 24th. <laughs> yeah, I ran, I ran so far away. Um, oh, yeah, like, I, I totally understand um and thank you for being so brave and so bold as to narrate um the introspection and being disassociated and having to um, remember to eat Remember to sleep. Um, but I'm going to use what you said, and uh, I've been fighting it for a really long time. And that's that maternal nurture. So thank you for that. You're welcome, Lisa. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks for sharing, Lisa. Wendy Michael Allen. Hey, Wendy. Hi, I'm Wendy. I'm a sexaholic. I'm a lustaholic. Hi, Dennis. Thank you so much, Kelly. You're a very special part of my recovery. You have been really since Zoom started. So we're a few years in to that. And um, I had some sobriety, but it was, you know, a Wendy sobriety. It wasn't by definition, but I knew I wanted to stay in this program. And I knew that if I was going to play around, with self, it was going to take take me out again. And I didn't see that as something that important, but I could say out loud to this group that it did. And there was no defense against the first drink. Um, I was just an arm's length away the whole time. And it just, I just did it. And um, it became something horrific, very short and very powerful. And um, I don't want to live that way anymore. So I was running from home, just like you discussed, discussed it and running and running and running. And I didn't know that I was running from home. Um, I like when you discuss your home is yourself as well. This home, the home to take care of, the physical home, the spiritual home, the mental home. And um, even if I was in the physical home, my brain was not here. I don't even know. I just lived a, a crazy dual life. Um most people know this is program is a secret to my spouse, but that's the way it has to be. And the 
for me. Um, that's how it's chosen both professionally and that's what we're going to, how we're going to do it. And uh, I make amends to him every day by staying sober. And I am happy that I could do that. And I have been doing that for the past 90 days. I have a quick question for you, Kelly. Kelly, you mentioned that you went away to a special place to take a program. Um, could you share with us, you know, an aha moment or something that you got there? something in particular that you got there that you could share with us? Yeah, thank you. Um, I don't have enough time to to, to describe all of my aha moments. Um, and it was actually really surprising that, um, you know, before I went, so I went to the Meadows in Arizona, <clears throat> the treatment center for a week to, um, to a program called Survivors of Childhood Trauma. And um, I, uh, I, I I went there thinking like, what's a week going to do? Like, God, I'm like a lifetime of crap. Like what's a week going to do? Um, and so much of, so much of what was driving me to go was um, the struggles, the, the hard parts of being close, uh, particularly sexually, but certainly otherwise um, like intimately avoidant with my spouse. Um, and that I had some more work to do. I knew I had some more work to do. Um, it's uh, there were so many aha experiences. Um, I, I really do think that the program itself was um, uh, like a group run program. And so just like here, just like what I've received here, having the opportunity to do the deep work in the presence of like compa- being compa- compassionately witnessed by other people um, who struggle to um and uh so shame reducing um it was so profound i've never ex- I, in all my years of therapy i've never experienced the depth of emotion that i experienced there and the like it, what truly feels like something got lifted from me that's like the aha that there was some that was there was a release or a, an un- unburdening which has really allowed me to show up with like the edges are softened almost like I um, it's so much easier for me to be present than I have been able to be. Um, And those, those were really profound gifts that I received from, from doing that. But um, I needed to be willing to be uncomfortable because man, oh man, was it uncomfortable. Um, And, and, and again, like I, that, thank, thank goodness for my, for a higher power that, allowed me to surrender my will um and and be there with a full heart so thank you thanks for asking wendy thanks so much kelly girl i'll, I'll hit you up for more details privately <laughs> all right we have about eight minutes until this meeting's going to come to an end uh so we'll go michael allen justin hey michael hey um Thanks a lot, Kelly, for for the way you shared all that. Uh, I really appreciate the, the story kind of format that you put it in, and the the running, um, you know, kind of concept. I related to that a lot. I used to run a fair amount, not super serious runner. I never ran a marathon, but I ran a bunch of half marathons and a lot of road races and it was good for me but it also uh you know is symbolic of how my life was during all those years 
and uh, just running from things. And now I walk because <laughs> uh, my knees <laughs> won't allow, allow the running anymore. But walking is a good kind of symbol for what I need to do now anyway. It's better for me to be walking, like making progress, but uh, going slow enough to not be running from anything. That works for me now. And I also appreciated, you know, sharing about the Meadows. I started my recovery at the Meadows in 2006. And I remember when I was taking the train out there, I took the train and going through, starting to go through the Southwest and seeing the the uh, land changing. I had never been to Arizona before, but I felt like I, I didn't think of this until now today with this theme and topic, <clears throat> I did have a feeling like I was going home because I knew I was I was ready to be serious. And that was, it wasn't, home wasn't, you know, a, a geographical place to go to. I was coming home to myself, being able to go there and do that kind of work. And I, I honor you two for doing that kind of, you know, the kind of work that you're doing now as part of your ongoing recovery. It's just really, really good thing. So thanks for everything you shared. Thanks a lot, Mike. Thank you. All right, we'll go Alan, Justin, Joel. Hey, Alan. Hey, thanks, Dennis. Um, yeah, Kelly, thank you so much for that share. Um, yeah, your shares are just always so powerful and resonate with me. Um, for me, it was also really important, I guess, when I got to the program. Um, you know, to have female perspectives and just a bunch of different perspectives really um, provided a lot um, for me and a lot of insight and um, yeah, just making, I guess, my recovery part of that more holistic, I guess. Um, and yeah, I really related to a lot um, of what you shared. Um, yeah, connecting with myself, um, loving myself that reminding, you know, I'm doing recovery for me um, and not others. And that's something that really recently I've been kind of realizing and trying to embrace and understand. Um, and also, yeah, the part about um, self-love, um, I'll never forget last year when you when you said, and you said it today also, that recovery and working steps is a, a form of self-love. Um, I just love that. And um, especially, you know, I disclosed to my partner uh, recently and kind of made me go back to my step one and I had to answer a lot of questions that she had and realizing that one of the things that brought me uh, to the rooms was really intense self-hatred um, of everything I've done and, and thought about. Um, and it was just two roads at that point. And I'm glad I chose recovery, even if, you know, if it was a process and it's still a process and always will be. Um, and yeah, def definitely that uh, being uncomfortable, um, but finding willingness in that. I really uh, like that also because for me, that was really difficult. Um, but I love, you know, that that could be a source and just looking at that in different ways. So um, I guess my question, um, just because you, I felt you were kind of also touching upon, for me, uh, like emotional sobriety. Um, so was there a moment where you felt you gained significant emotional sobriety and uh, was there something that propelled that? 
I think I think the journey through emotional sobriety is a daily. Um, I, you know, once the sort of addiction got sort of quote dealt with, um, in showed up my codependency, which um, is significant. Um, and so, um, I, I don't know. I mean, I think I don't think there's a particular moment. It's just been. Um, through a lot of um, this program, like like the big book part of the acceptance part of the big book has been huge for me in terms of my emotional sobriety, like just staying on my own side of the street, um, knowing that I can't fix or change anybody else, but I can only sort of stay with myself and do what I can do. Um, Like that's just been a repeated thing for me um, to keep me grounded in, um, in, you know, what I can control and what I can't. So um, that's how I think my spouse and I, we, we've come a long way in that way, but we work on it a lot um, in terms of just uh, emotional sobriety in our relationship. So it's, um, it's, it's, it's work um, and still is. So um, I'm aware of the time and don't want to keep hammering on. So um, hopefully Hopefully that helps. It's a <laughs> recovering from codependency is a whole nother beast of a thing um, that is, you know, it's an, its own addiction in and of itself. So, yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Kelly. All right. We have two minutes left. We'll go to uh, Justin. Hey, everybody. This is Justin Sexaholic. Um, Thank you so much, Kelly. I'll be really quick here. Um, I'm going to leave some time for others. I just wanted to say that I really identified with that concept, and I imagine a lot of us do, with uh, running from our feelings, running from our uncomfortability. I love your uh, phrase, and I I wrote this down in my little notes. Uh, It's time to hang up the running shoes. I love that. I love that idea. Um, And so just real quick question. I think I may have heard that in the answer there, but when it comes to how do you practically sit in those feelings and work through them? Is there a certain technique you use? Uh, I kind of thought maybe you had alluded to body scanning or something along those lines, but uh, if you had anything to share along those lines, that would be awesome. Thank you so much for your share. Um, I, because I've been so disconnected from myself for so long, I still find it difficult to know what I'm feeling to actually like put the, what is it, the name on the feeling. Um, and so, um, I've been doing a lot of work on just connecting to like, what's he, what's here right now that needs my attention. I know that I can feel uncomfortable in my body. So if I can just sort of like pinpoint that and then ask myself, like, what is that emotion? Like, what is that feeling? It's like an inventory essentially, but you know, what is that feeling that's connected to that sensation? And then if I, sometimes I actually have to, I have a feelings wheel and I have to look at the feelings wheel and try to figure it out that way. Um, uh, Cause I don't always know, but as soon as I can sort of get as granular as possible with what the feeling is, then I feel like I can deal with it so much more in just like, calling it something, recognizing it, I can feel it in my body and then being able to like breathe this too shall pass. It'll be okay. What do I need? Um, so that like, that's, that's a daily process too, that I have certainly not mastered, but getting better. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much.
This is going to be really quick. This is Joel uh, Kelly. Uh, I am really proud of where you've come from, where you've been, where you're going. And uh, I'm glad I'm on this trip with you. I wouldn't want to do it any other way. And you never, uh, I always love what you have to say every time. So thank you so much. Thank you, Joel. Lots of love to you, brother. Thank you. Okay, Catherine, we have about one minute left. Well, Kelly, you just answered my question a short bit ago, but I just want to say I'm so proud to be on this meeting. My problem other than running was freezing. And I knew I had to go to the codependency of, of quite a while back, but I couldn't find help for it. Um, but I'm on this journey. But like I said, mine's freezing. I don't know my body at all. And uh, this has been an extremely rough week. I've been able to read at meetings or listen in. But I will tell you that it's been rough because I've been suicidal this week. But I know I won't do anything. But you shared some things that I really need to work on. And with that, I'll pass. Hey, Catherine. Really Thanks, glad Catherine. I'm glad you came, Catherine. Thank you. Love you, Catherine. Thanks for sharing, Catherine. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Good I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.